As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The Haunted House in Charnwood Forest by Anonymous one fine, blustering autumn day, a quiet and venerable-looking old gentleman might be seen, with stick in hand, taking his way through the streets of Leicester. If anyone had followed him, they would have found him directing his steps toward that side of the town which leads to Charnwood. The old gentleman, who was a Quaker, took his way leisurely but thoughtfully stopping every now and then to see what the farmer's men were about, who were ploughing up the stubbles to prepare for another year's crop. He paused, also, at this and that farmhouse, evidently having a pleasure in the sight of good, fat cattle, and in the flocks of poultry, fowls, ducks, geese and turkeys, busy about the barn door, where the sound of the flail, or the swipple, as they there term it, was already heard busily knocking out the corn of the last bountiful harvest. Our old friend, a friend, for though you, dear reader, do not know him, he was both at the time we speak of, our old friend, again trudging on, would pause on the brow of a hill, at a stile, or on some rustic bridge, casting its little obliging arch over a brooklet, and inhale the fresh autumnal air and after looking round him, nod to himself, as if to say, Ay, all good, all beautiful, and so he went on again. But it would not be long before he would be arrested again by clusters of rich, jetty blackberries, hanging from some old hawthorn hedge, or by clusters of nuts, hanging by the wayside, through the copse. In all these natural beauties, our old wayfarer seemed to have the enjoyment of a child, blackberries went into his mouth, and nuts into his pockets. And so, with a quiet, inquiring, and thoughtful, yet thoughtfully cheerful look, the good old man went on. He seemed bound for a long walk, and yet to be in no hurry. In one place he stopped to talk to a very old labourer, who was clearing out a ditch and if you had been near, you would have heard that their discourse was of the past days, 
and the changes in that part of the country, which the old labourer thought were very much for the worse. And worse they were for him, for formerly he was young and full of life, and now he was old and nearly empty of life. Then he was buoyant, sang songs, made love, went to wakes and merry-makings. Now his wooing days, and his marrying days, and his married days were over. His good old dame, who in those young buxom days was a round-faced, rosy, plump, and light-hearted damsel, was dead, and his children were married and had enough to do. In those days the poor fellow was strong and lusty, had no fear and no care. In these he was weak and tottering, had been pulled and harassed a thousand ways, and was left, as he said, like an old dry kex, that is, a hemlock or cow-parsnip stalk, hollow and dry, to be knocked down and trodden into the dust some day. Yes, sure enough, those past days were much better days than these days were to him. No comparison. But Mr. John Basford, our old wanderer, was taking a more cheerful view of things, and telling the nearly worn-out labourer that when the night came there followed morning, and that the next would be a heavenly morning, shining on hills of glory, on waters of life, on cities of the blessed, where no sun rose and no sun set, and where every joyful creature of joyful youth who had been dear to him, and true to him and God, would again meet him and make times such as should cause songs of praise to spring out of his heart, just as flowers spring out of a vernal tree in the rekindled warmth of the sun. The old labourer leaned reverently on his spade as the worthy man talked to him. His grey locks, uncovered at his labour by any hat, were tossed in the autumn wind. His dim eye was fixed on the distant sky that rolled its dark masses of clouds on the gale, and the deep wrinkles of his pale and feeble temples seemed to grow deeper at the thoughts passing within him. He was listening as to a sermon which brought together his youth and his age, his past and his future. And there were verified on that spot words which Jesus Christ spoke nearly two thousand years ago. Wherever two or three are met together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. He was in the midst of the two only. There was a temple there in those open fields, sanctified by two pious hearts, which no ringing of bells, no sound of solemn organ, nor voice of congregated prayers, nor any preacher but the ever-present and invisible one, who there and then fulfilled his promise and was gracious, could have made more holy. Our old friend again turned to set forward. He shook the old labourer kindly by the hand, and there was a gaze of astonishment in the old man's face. The stranger had not only cheered him by his words, but left something to cheer him when he was gone. The friend now went on with a more determined step. He skirted the memorable park of Bradgut, famous for the abode of Lady Jane Grey and the visit of her schoolmaster, Roger Ascham. He went on into a region of woods and hills, 
At some seven or eight miles from Leicester, he drew near a solitary farmhouse within the ancient limits of the forest of Charnwood. It was certainly a lonely place amid the woodlands and the wild autumn fields. Evening was fast dropping down, and as the shade of night fell on the scene, the wind tossed more rushingly the boughs of the thick trees and roared down the rocky valley. John Basford went up to the farmhouse, however, as if that was the object of his journey, and a woman opening it at his knock, he soon disappeared within. Now, our old friend was a perfect stranger here, had never been here before, had no acquaintance nor actual business with the inhabitants, though anyone watching his progress hither would have been quite satisfied that he was not wandering without an object but he merely stated that he was somewhat fatigued with his walk from the town, and requested leave to rest a while. In such a place, such a request is readily and even gladly granted. There was a cheerful fire burning on a bright, clean hearth. The kettle was singing on the hob for tea, and the contrast of the indoor comfort was sensibly heightened by the wild gloom without. The farmer's wife, who had admitted the stranger, soon went out and called her husband from the fold-yard. He was a plain, hearty sort of man, gave our friend a hearty shake of the hand, sat down and began to converse. A little time seemed to establish a friendly interest between the stranger and the farmer and his wife. John Basford asked whether they would allow him to smoke a pipe, which was not only readily accorded, but the farmer joined him. They smoked and talked alternately of the country and the town, Leicester being the farmer's market and as familiar to him as his own neighbourhood. He soon came to know, too, who his guest was, and expressed much pleasure in the visit. Tea was carried into the parlour, and thither they all adjourned, for now the farming men were coming into the kitchen, where they sat for the evening. Tea over, the two gentlemen again had a pipe, and the conversation wandered over a multitude of things and people known to both. But the night was come down, pitch dark, wild and windy, and old John Basford had to return to Leicester. "'To Leicester!' exclaimed at once man and wife. "'To Leicester! No such thing! He must stay where he was! Where could he be better?' John Basford confessed that that was true. He had great pleasure in conversing with them, but then was it not an unwarrantable liberty to come to a stranger's house and make thus free? Not in the least, the farmer replied. The freer the better. The matter thus was settled, and the evening wore on. But in the course of the evening, the guest, whose simple manner, strong sense, and deeply pious feeling had made a most favourable impression on his entertainers, hinted that he had heard some strange rumours regarding this house, and that, in truth, had been the cause which had attracted him thither. He had heard, in fact, that a particular chamber in this house was haunted, and he had for a long time felt a growing desire to pass a night in it. He now begged this favour might be granted him. As he had opened this subject, an evident cloud, and something of an unpleasant surprise, had fallen on the countenances of both man and wife. It deepened as he proceeded. 
The farmer had withdrawn his pipe from his mouth and laid it on the table, and the woman had risen and looked uneasily at their guest. The moment that he uttered the wish to sleep in the haunted room, both exclaimed in the same instant against it. No, never, they exclaimed, never on any consideration. They had made a firm resolve on that point which nothing would induce them to break through. The guest expressed himself disappointed, but did not press the matter further at the moment. He contented himself with turning the conversation quietly upon this subject, and after a while found the farmer and his wife confirmed to him everything that he had heard. Once more then, and as incidentally, he expressed his regret that he could not gratify the curiosity which had brought him so far, and, before the time for retiring arrived, again ventured to express how much what he had now heard had increased his previous desire to pass a night in that room. He did not profess to believe himself invulnerable to fears of such a kind, but was curious to convince himself of the actual existence of spiritual agency of this character. The farmer and his wife steadily refused. They declared that others who had come with the same wish, and had been allowed to gratify it, had suffered such terrors as had made their after-lives miserable. The last of these guests was a clergyman, who received such a fright that he sprang from his bed at midnight, had descended, gone into the stable, and saddling his horse, had ridden away at full speed. Those things had caused them to refuse, and that firmly, any fresh experiment of the kind. The spirit visitation was described to be generally this. At midnight, the stranger sleeping in that room would hear the latch of the door raised, and would in the dark perceive a light step enter, and, as with a stealthy tread, cross the room and approach the foot of the bed. The curtains would be agitated, and something would be perceived mounted on the bed, and proceeding up it just upon the body of the person in it. The supernatural visitant would then stretch itself full length on the person of the agitated guest, and the next moment he would feel an oppression at his chest, as of a nightmare, and something extremely cold would touch his face. At this crisis the terrified guest would usually utter a fearful shriek, and often go into a swoon. The whole family would be roused from their beds by the alarm but on no occasion had any traces of the cause of terror been found, though the house, on such occasions, had been diligently and thoroughly searched. The annoying visit was described as being by no means uniform. Sometimes it would not take place for a very long time, so that they would begin to hope that there would be no more of it, but it would, when least expected, occur again. Few people of late years, however, had ventured to sleep in that room, and never since the aforementioned clergyman was so terribly alarmed, about two years ago, had it once been occupied. Then, said John Basford, it is probable that the annoyance is done with forever. If the troublesome visitant was still occasionally present, it would, no doubt, take care to manifest itself in some mode or place. It was necessary to test the matter, to see whether this particular room was still subject to so strange a phenomenon. This seemed to have an effect on the farmer and his wife. The old man urged his suit all the more earnestly, 
and after further show of extreme reluctance on the part of his entertainers finally prevailed the consent once being given the farmer's wife retired to make the necessary arrangements our friend heard sundry goings to and fro but at length it was announced to him that all was ready the farmer and his wife both repeating that they would be much better pleased if mr basford would be pleased to sleep in some other room the old man however remained firm to his purpose he was shown to his chamber and the maid who led the way stood at some distance from the denoted door and pointing to it bade him good night and hurried away mr basford found himself alone in the haunted room he looked round and discovered nothing that should make it differ from any other good and comfortable chamber or that should give to some invisible agent so singular a propensity to disturb any innocent mortal that nocturnated in it whether he felt any nervous terrors we know not but as he was come to see all that would or could occur there he kept himself most vigilantly awake he lay down in a very good feather bed extinguished his light and waited in patience time and tide as they will wait for no man went on all sounds of life ceased in the house nothing could be heard but the rushing wind without and the bark of the yard dog occasionally amid the laughing blast midnight came and found john basford wide awake and watchfully expectant nothing stirred but he lay still on the watch at length was it so did he hear a rustling movement as it were near his door or was it his excited fancy he raised his head from his pillow and listened intensely hush there is something no it was his contagious mind ready to hear and see what there was an actual sound of the latch he could hear it raised he could not be mistaken there was a sound as if his door was cautiously opened list it was true there were soft stealthy footsteps on the carpet they came directly toward the bed they paused at its foot the curtains were agitated there were steps on the bed something crept did not the heart and the very flesh of the rash old man now creep too and upon him sank a palpable form palpable from its pressure for the night was dark as an oven there was a heavy weight on his chest and in the same instant something almost icy cold touched his face with a sudden convulsive action the old man suddenly flung up his arms clutched at the terrible object which thus oppressed him and shouted with a loud cry i have got him i have got him there was a sound as of a deep growl a vehement struggle but john basford held fast his hold and felt that he had something within it huge shaggy and powerful once more he raised his voice loud enough to have roused the whole house but it seemed no voice of terror but one of triumph and satisfaction in the next instant the farmer rushed into the room with a light in his hand and revealed to john basford that he held in his arms the struggling form of a huge newfoundland dog let him go sir in god's name exclaimed the farmer on whose brow drops of real anguish stood and glistened in the light of the candle downstairs caesar and the dog released from the hold of the quaker 
departed as if much ashamed. In the same instant the farmer and his wife, who now also came in dressed, and evidently never having been to bed, were on their knees by the bedside. "'You know it all, sir,' said the farmer. "'You see through it. You were too deep and strong-minded to be imposed on. We were, therefore, afraid of this when you asked to sleep in this room. Promise us now that while we live you will never reveal what you know.' They then related to him that this house and chamber had never been haunted by any other than this dog, which had been trained to play the part, that, for generations, their family had lived on this farm, but some years ago their landlord having suddenly raised their rent to an amount that they felt they could not give, they were compelled to think of quitting the farm. This was to them an insuperable source of grief. It was the place that all their lives and memories were bound up with. They were extremely cast down. Suddenly it occurred to them to give an ill name to the house. They hit on this scheme, and, having practised it well, did not long want an opportunity of trying it. It had succeeded beyond their expectations. The fears of their guests were found to be of a force which completely blinded them to any discovery of the truth. There had been occasions where they thought some clumsy accident must have stripped away the delusion, but no, there seemed a thick veil of blindness, a fascination of terror cast over the strongest minds which nothing could pierce through. Case after case occurred, and the house and farm acquired such a character that no money or consideration of any kind would have induced a fresh tenant to live there. The old tenants continued at their old rent, and the comfortable ghost stretched himself every night in a capacious kennel, without any need of disturbing his slumbers by calls to disturb those of the guests of the haunted chamber. Having made this revelation, the farmer and his wife again implored their guest to preserve their secret. He hesitated. Nay, said he, I think it would not be right to do that. That would be to make myself a party to a public deception. It would be a kind of fraud on the world and the landlord. It would serve to keep up those superstitious terrors which should be as speedily as possible dissipated. The farmer was in agony. He rose and strode to and fro in the room. His countenance grew red and wrathful. He cast dark glances at his guest, whom his wife continued to implore and who sat silent and, as it were, lost in reflection. "'And do you think it a right thing, sir?' said the farmer, "'thus to force yourself into a stranger's house and family, and, in spite of the strongest wishes expressed to the contrary, into his very chambers, and that only to do him a mischief? Is that your religion, sir? I thought you had something better in you than that.' Am I now to think your mildness and piety were only so much hypocrisy put on to ruin me? Nay, friend, I don't want to ruin thee, said the Quaker. But ruin me you will, though, if you publish this discovery. Out I must turn, and be the laughing-stock of the whole country to boot. Now, if that is what you mean, say so, and I shall know what sort of a man you are. Let me know at once whether you are an honest man or a cockatrice. My friend, said the Quaker, 
Canst thou call thyself an honest man, in practising this deception for all these years, and depriving thy landlord of the rent he would otherwise have got from another? And dost thou think it would be honest in me to assist in the continuance of this fraud? I rob the landlord of nothing, replied the farmer. I pay a good, fair rent, but I don't want to quit the old spot, and if you had not thrust yourself into this affair, you would have had nothing to lay on your conscience concerning it. I must, let me tell you, look on it as a piece of unwarrantable impertinence to come thus to my house and be kindly treated, only to turn Judas against me. The word, Judas, seemed to hit the friend a great blow. A Judas? Yes, a Judas, a real Judas, exclaimed the wife. Who could have thought it? Nay, nay, said the old man. I am no Judas. It is true, I forced myself into it, and if you pay the landlord an honest rent, why, I don't know that it is any business of mine, at least while you live. That is all we want, replied the farmer, his countenance changing, and again flinging himself by his wife on his knees by the bed. Promise us never to reveal it while we live, and we shall be quite satisfied. We have no children, and when we go, those may come to the old spot who will. Promise me never to practice this trick again, said John Basford. We promise faithfully, rejoined both farmer and wife. Then I promise too, said the friend, that not a whisper of what has passed here shall pass my lips during your lifetime. With warmest expressions of thanks, the farmer and his wife withdrew, and John Basford, having cleared the chamber of its mystery, lay down and passed one of the sweetest nights he ever enjoyed. The farmer and his wife lived a good many years after this, but they both died before Mr. Basford, and after their death he related to his friends the facts which are here detailed. He, too, has passed, years ago, to his longer night in the grave, and to the clearing up of greater mysteries than that of the haunted house of Charnwood Forest. End of The Haunted House in Charnwood Forest It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.